Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. Let's look at uh, the word of the Lord in Romans chapter 10. I'm going to look at verses 14 and 15. I want to share some pastoral thoughts with you out of this passage and as it relates to where we are in history and what I believe the Lord is speaking to us as a congregation. If you will stand with me for the reading of the word of the Lord, just two verses here this morning uh, that I think will help direct our thoughts and the direction which the Lord would have us to go as a body. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. The word of the Lord says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the public reading of Scripture, and we thank you for the grace which you have shown us time and time again. And so, Lord, we just exalt in your presence today, and we are grateful, Lord. I'm so thankful for the time of worship, for the time of ministry so far this morning, and I pray, God, that you would work through the preached word today, God, that you would speak to us by your gracious hand. We ask you to do these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. So I, and I try to keep up with the news a little bit and not too much to where it kind of overwhelms you and you get caught up in it, but enough to where you know uh, what is happening and what's going on in uh, the world. And one of the things that uh, I Um, I'm to understand is going to happen or may happen this week is that the Supreme Court may uh, officially uh, release its opinion uh, that could potentially overturn uh, Roe v. Wade or some form of that, at least send it uh, to the states. And you have to understand that uh, I rejoice in that. I I rejoice in that because I'm very much pro-life, I believe, uh, from conception that uh, God has created life, and I think we ought to protect life at all costs. I think that's an important aspect of being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I also believe that we're in a broken world and that there are people who have uh, maybe uh, walked a journey in which they uh, may have encountered some things, then come to the Lord later on in life and still have some of that, uh, that difficulty that they have to work through. And the church ought to be gracious and compassionate towards that. With that said, uh, what I uh, expect is that when the opinion is handed down, because it's already uh, essentially been, been released from what we understand, 
is that uh, it will, because our nation is so divided, it is going to create uh, such a difficulty in our country that there are those who are uh, ready to uh, protest, uh, violently protest, is what I understand, again, from what I'm reading uh, in the news. And so we have a responsibility as a church, one that we do not feed into that, uh, that we do not feed into uh, the vitriol that happens in our society, where we stand firm upon our beliefs and our convictions, but we do not feed into the vitriol. And we see that in the life of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we also must understand is this is one piece in a greater puzzle that is leading us to the end times. And it's not simply happening in the U.S. If we kind of think about where we are and we can become so focused inwardly as it relates to our own family, our own country, and even sometimes fail to realize that there is uh, issues of global importance that the entire world is in an uproar. It's not just us. It's not just one country, but it is an entirety of the world that is now in an uproar. And we can't just simply step back and say, you know, the church needs to just continue doing its thing in its cloister and not really think about what's going on. But the church, I believe, in this time is to be proactive in engaging what's going on in the world to realize the prophetic significance of what is happening in our day. People who study these things uh, say to us that what the pandemic did to the church in some ways was actually a blessing. Because what the pandemic did was it separated nominal believers from those who were truly committed. That, in fact, just a few months ago, I sat in a session with someone who was well known for their study of the church and statistical analysis of the church and talking with pastors and thinking about it. And he said, There is no more nominal believers. They left, they're gone. They're not coming back to church. They're not part of the church anymore. What you have in your congregation and what you ought to rejoice over is that the ones who are filling the seat, these are the real deal. And so that ought to be something that brings hope to us, but it also must say something to us about our mission as a people of God. That we live in a time which is characterized, I believe, in the reading of Scripture. Yes, we can say throughout history, people have said, we're living in the end times. We're living in the end times. We're living in the end times. I remember uh, when I was young, you know, and I, would, and I was at, at home, and I was uh, uh, just being exposed to some of this doctrine of the end times, and I would kind of be around and couldn't find anybody and think as the rapture happened, and I've been left. Anybody ever felt that way? <laughs> Y'all aren't being honest. (laughs) But I believe of any other time in history that we are at a time where what we see and what we believe that Scripture articulates, particularly in the apocalyptic literature of Scripture, is coming to pass in our day. The entire world is in an uproar. And I believe that 
while it can present difficulty and challenge, certainly on a personal level, that it's no other time in world history in which it is as exciting to be a part of what the Lord is doing than right now. How many times have you and I prayed about God doing the miraculous? Whether it is God miraculously saving people, whether it is God miraculously healing people, whether it is God miraculously doing a work in the natural realm somehow, things transitioning in a supernatural way, I believe we're entering into that season. There have been seasons of times we see throughout Scripture where There wasn't a lot of activities, supernatural activity. There wasn't a lot of activity that was going on. And then there are times where there's increased activity, where God's really doing a lot of things that you see in the natural realm. We can see God's hand moving supernaturally. And there's seasons and times in which the Lord worked, just like there's seasons and times throughout the year. Winter and spring and summer and fall. The seasons rotate. It teaches us there's seasons that God works in as well. One of the things I believe for us as a local church that the Lord is calling us and speaking to us to be more keenly aware of is that sending function of uh, the church in two aspects, sending people out and being ones within the church who equip those to be sent out. Equipping and sending. When you think about Jesus and when he began his ministry, most people would say that Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry on the earth. But have you ever thought about the ages of his disciples when he called them? Have you ever thought about how old the disciples were when the Lord began calling them when he was approximately 30 years of age? Based on what we know about tidbits from Scripture, from the Gospels, uh, there are those who estimate that the disciples could have ranged as young as 13, which probably would have been John, to as old as 30, which would have been somewhere around what Peter would have been one of the older ones. So from, imagine, 13-year-old up to that 30 age range, was who Jesus began to pick to call to himself in order to equip, in order to send out. We often think, or I often think, of these men as older men, maybe a little more seasoned, but they were younger men. And so these young men who were equipped by the Lord changed the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, the average age of a pastor of a church is 57. I'm a young guy. (laughs) Can you believe that? As much gray hair or lack thereof that I have. Compared to in the year 2000, the average age was 50. So we've jumped seven years years, the age has increased seven years in about 21, 22 years or so. 
Statistically, congregants in the church are older and grayer than what they would have been at any point in history. And what this means is that the younger generation is not engaging with the local church, nor are they sensing a call to ministry. I don't believe that it is that the Lord is not calling people, but it is that people are not taught how to hear the voice of the Lord. If you're here today and you are older, what I would say to all of us who are in that older category is we have a clear role to play in the mission of the church. If you look at Luke 2, we see Simeons and Annas who were older people in the church who were looking forward and praying forward and prophesying about what God was going to do in the next generation. We're very blessed here at the church to have a wonderful group of uh, older and older generation that loves to encourage the younger generation. I think of many of you, particularly many of you older ladies who encourage me on a regular basis. I'm very blessed by your ministry and by your effort to serve the Lord in that way. But we also need to help the younger generation or the next generation to hear the voice of the Lord and to step into their calling of leadership. If you were to flip back in the Old Testament to 1 Samuel chapter 3, what we see is that Samuel was a young boy who had heard the voice of the Lord, but he did not understand it to be God. He heard God's voice speaking, but he didn't understand that it was God who was actually speaking to him. He thought it was Eli, the priest at the time. And Eli, who wasn't a very good father and wasn't a very good priest, he was the one who actually had to teach Samuel that it was God who was speaking to him. There had to be instruction about hearing the voice of the Lord and what it meant to be called into ministry. We look at Jesus' own work with his disciples. Again, he simultaneously developed the younger generation while teaching and equipping those who were older. In the early church, Many of them were primarily younger, and they were willing to sacrifice everything for the gospel. And that's part of what it means to be young, is you can take risk. You see, my, my 18-year-old son can take a whole lot more risk at his age than what I can take at 45 with a wife and seven children. His ability to risk some things is much greater than my ability to risk some things. And Paul talks about this in his gospel. Those who are married and have children have to be concerned about those things, whereas those who are young and aren't married, they don't have to be as concerned about those things. An ability to take some risks. If we're to look at that younger generation, what many sociologists call Generation Z or Gen Z, are those born between the late 90s and 2010. About 57% of those in this group use screen media four or more hours a day. 26% use screen media eight or more hours per day. They're also the first generation to be raised by parents who are on screens. And that's one of the things that makes them very different from 
other generation, the other generation prior to them, uh, the millennials. They're twice as likely to say that they are atheists than their adult counterparts. Twice as likely to say they are atheists. One-third of the teenagers in this particular research study indicated that gender is how a person feels inside, not their birth sex. Seven out of ten believe it's acceptable to be born one gender and feel like another. A quote from this study is a non-surprising finding in this research is that engaged Christian teens are just as likely as adults to say they are convinced of their Christian faith and convictions. Nominal Christianity is disappearing in this culture, and that is a good thing for the gospel. Nowadays, there is a need for radical discipleship where followers of Christ live their lives surrendered to the Holy Spirit in complete obedience to their Lord. In many instances, young people do not reject Christ, but do reject a sociological and political interpretation of Christianity that they see in their parents or adults around them that do not necessarily reflect biblical values. A post-Christian context forces believers to be completely committed followers of Christ. So the church or this community of faith, this gathering of believers that we're part of has always been, we should always be about empowering the next generation with the promises of God. If you were to flip back in your Bible to Acts chapter 2, and you look at Acts chapter 2, when uh, Peter is preaching in verses 17 and 18, he says, and it shall come in the last days, says God, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So es- essentially what he is saying is on the different generations, I will pour out my spirit. In verse 20. Nine, uh, Peter shares there. I'm sorry, verse 39. Peter says, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Again, a point to say this promise is for you, but not just for you. Be thinking about your children and be thinking about your children's children and the next generation of believers. So Bringing this together, this thought, what we have to think about as a church is how we are empowering, how we are sending out those who are of the next generation in order to preach and teach and share the message of hope. That was the characteristic of the early church, to equip and send. Riverstone must be a place that is an equipping and sending place. In our text this morning, Paul asks a series of questions, and they all expect a negative answer. Verse 14, how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? The answer is, they can't. They can't call on him in whom they have not believed. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? heard. The answer is they can't believe 
on him whom they have not heard. How will they hear without a preacher? The answer is they can't hear without a preacher. And how will they preach unless they are sent? The answer is they can't preach unless they are sent. So if you look at these questions and you reverse the order, it gives you the logical process to get someone from being sent to crying out to the Lord in faith. So if we start from the bottom up of this passage, when one is sent, they will preach. And when they preach, others will hear. And when others hear, they will believe. And when others believe, they will call on the Lord in faith. So the way we get to those crying out to the Lord in faith is to begin with the aspect of sending them out of the local body of believers. So you and I in this gathering today, if we just kind of come in, if I come in and you come in and we sit in the chair and we think about what does this message solely mean for me? Or I'm worshiping God in order to build myself up in my faith or to hear a word from the Lord for me because I've had a difficult week, I've had a challenging circumstance, and we come to the Sunday morning gathering and we get that word from the Lord and then we leave the church and we walk out the door, what have we done? What have we done? It's like a crack addict. You get your fix. You're happy with your fix. Not concerned about anybody else. But I will tell you, that if you're here and you're sitting and you're thinking that in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit fell upon a group of about 120. And the point of the Holy Spirit falling on that group of 120 is not so they could dance themselves, is not so they could run and shout, is not so they could just speak in tongues. It was that they would be equipped in order to go out, to be sent out, in order to equip someone else. You see, I want a church that is going to shout and dance. I wish some of you would get a little more excited sometimes. I'm excited about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm excited about speaking in tongues. I can tell you about all those things. But what gets me even more excited is when someone grasps a hold of what God is doing in our world and decides, I am tired of sitting on the pew and I want to do something for Jesus. Send me out, O oh Lord. Send me. We have to be a church that sends. We cannot be a church that's content with warming the nice chairs and walking out the door. 
Because we're entering into an age when the church cannot be content with that anymore. We cannot be content with that anymore. We have to see a revolution in our world for the gospel. This is the time that the Bible talks about that as wickedness increases, God's grace is also going to increase. Do we believe that people are going to hell? You know, we don't like to say that, and we kind of tiptoe around that discussion sometimes, but if the gospel is really true and we believe what the gospel says, the gospel says that unless you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, unless you confess him with your mouth, that you cannot enter into heaven. Well, that's a nice way to say it. I can say it in the more direct way, that unless you confess Jesus with your mouth and believe on him in your heart, you're going to find yourself spending an eternity in hell. Now, our culture doesn't like that because our culture says, how can a good God send someone to eternal torment? We want to debate that issue. We want to wonder about that issue. But I can say, I don't have a lot of debate about that issue because what I want is to rescue people from that. But I can't do it by myself. And I can't do it just by standing here screaming. (laughs) We must be motivated to see a generation rising up that is equipped with the tools of the gospel and being sent out. I think I've shared this before. I I have shared it in other contexts. I'm not sure if I've shared it here or not. But when I, my father-in-law was a businessman. When I went to his uh, business, I saw this young lady and uh, felt like that uh, there was something there that the Lord was sending me to her. And uh, I went to her father and I talked to him at an appropriate time and I asked for her hand in marriage and for his blessing. And what he shared with me has always stuck with me. And it was the most freeing thing that my father-in-law could have ever said to me. And what he said to me was, he says, I want you to be sure that you all continually serve the Lord. He knew at that point we were going into vocational ministry. And his words to me were, If you were to go to some other place in the world and I were to never see her again, I would be okay knowing that as long as I knew you were serving the Lord. Now tell me, that was freeing for a young man who really at that point didn't know what the Lord had in store. Other than that, what the Lord had in store for me, she was part of that. And the same thing we could say in this church, that my prayer is that God would raise some of you up, particularly some of you in that 13 to 30-year-old range. Some of that younger generation who are able to pick up leadership and to be sent out, be equipped and sent out of this local church. And we may not see you again until we get to heaven, but we're going to rejoice that we knew you when God called you. That's the beauty of the church, 
We ought to continually and consistently be a sending community. Who is God raising up to send out of this community? What I can tell you, as much as it lies within me and my abilities, I am not going to be an old man behind the pulpit. What I want to be is a man who's encouraging the next generation to keep rolling, keep moving. I want to help equip that next generation, whether it's behind the scenes or otherwise. That's what I pray God would open because I'd love to see a young man step forward in this congregation who says, the call of God is on my life. And some of you have wisdom of years to rally around and help equip and send. I believe that's what God is calling us to do. And we have to be unified in this. It's not a plug, but it's a point. We have our dear brother, Johan, who has a passion to reach out to that young adult group. You're part of that age group. Be here Wednesdays at 7. Be equipped. Brother Toby helps to lead the younger uh, juniors and high schoolers. Brother Johan takes them from there. We need that. People who have passion, but we need more. We must have more. To get to crying out to the Lord, we have to start with sending. Paul's concern in Romans 9, 10, and 11 is that those who are unbelieving, particularly for him in that context, the unbelieving Jews would come to faith in Jesus and cry out to him, call out to him in faith. And then that brings us to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. In light of the need to send, the need to equip, in light of the knowledge that there are unbelievers who need to hear the message by someone who is sent, who is preaching, who is equipped, who will help people to cry out unto the Lord, Paul says in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, what Paul is saying to you, the believing community, to us as the community of faith, as the church, we ought to present our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord, holy and acceptable, because this is our spiritual act of service to send people out to preach the gospel to those who have not heard. In the very early days of Riverstone Church, we have been praying for God's will and plan to be made known. And I believe that is coming into clarity more and more and more as the events of our world and the cry of our congregation 
come together, what we are seeking the Lord for. We're seeking the Lord for our city. We're seeking the Lord for revival. That doesn't happen just by some kind of chance of just the Holy Spirit coming. What we don't realize is often in the revivals of history, we see it in the book of Acts, there was a church that was longing and groaning and desiring and wanting that to come. And as the Holy Spirit began to move, the immediate response was to send out over and over and over and over and over again. In Acts 13, verses 2 and 3, I preached a message on this back in August, August the 8th of 2021. Go back and listen to it. I won't rehearse the whole thing. What I want to emphasize there is this interaction between the call of God and the sending function of the church, the, the, the Holy Spirit initiating that and the people of God helping to move that forward. And so I can only share with you my personal journey and you all have your own personal journey as well with the Lord. But one of the things that I remember is a stirring within my heart, the Holy Spirit initiating and stirring something that was a calling within there, but I didn't understand what that was. And so I went to someone who had more understanding than me. At that age, it was my pastor. And I went to him and began to share what God was doing or what I felt like God was speaking to me. And as I shared with him what God was speaking to me, his response was, well, you need to get your feet wet and see if it's the Lord. And so within a few weeks, with knees knocking, I was preaching a message. And God began to affirm through what? My own mind? Nope. God began to affirm through the community that I was part of, through the church, that there was a call, that there was something going on. The church was part of the sending function. There was no way in which I would have been allowed to say, hey, I'm called, put me in. There was a sense of the church and the Holy Spirit working together to affirm what God is doing, and that is what we need to see in our church today. It is no doubt in my mind in a gathering such as this that there is God speaking. There is God calling. There is God ministering to some of you. You don't have to be in that early age range. You may be in an older age range and wondering all your life what God is doing. Well, I'm going to say to all of us today, it's time to get our feet wet. It's time to get our feet wet and to get in the game and to see this church as a place that God is continually sending people out and we are equipping them. And we're going to put legs to that. We're going to put legs to that like they did in Acts chapter 13 in Acts where they prayed and sought the Lord and the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. And then they equip them and they send them out. The Holy Spirit and the local church working together. We must be a sending church. And we must be a church who equips those who we send. And so as we pray today and we ask the Lord to minister to us 
and through us, what I would ask is for you to pray this with me. What is my role in the sending function of Riverstone? You're here this morning for a reason. You realize that? I do believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in the sovereignty of God. You're here this morning for a reason. And so this is a prayer that we must pray together. And so as they come, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Ask the Lord. Maybe the Lord's already been speaking to you. Then you need to make that known. Don't wait for someone on the leadership team to step up to you and to give you a prophetic word. You need to begin to make that known in order that we can begin to equip. We have a city that needs to hear the message of hope. God is calling us to this. We must be ascending church. We must be a consistently sending church. Amen. Let's pray and let's seek the Lord together for these next few moments. You may find a place here at the altar to seek the Lord. I invite you to do that. Uh, you may find a place where you are in prayer and in seeking the Lord, but let's spend the next few moments asking the Lord that question. What is my role in the sending function of this local church? Let's seek the Lord in prayer together just now.
I want to invite you to come. If you're in that 13 to 30 age range, I'd like you to come forward. Even if you're here on the platform, I'd like you to please come and stand here at the front. Let's gather here. The promise is for you, for your children, for your children's children, and all those who are far off. The word of the Lord says, speaking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but also speaking to us about the purpose of the Holy Spirit, which is to equip and to send out. If you're over this age range this morning, I'd like you to gather in behind. Lay your hands on someone behind them. Our ministry leaders, if you would come to the front. Here, step in front of this crowd and begin to pray for them. Some of you, God is calling. Doesn't mean if you're older than this age range that God is not calling you. He may certainly be speaking to you and there's a place for that. There's opportunity for that. We praise God for that. But in many ways, this generation is struggling. They need to be equipped. And we want to pray that in this place, if God is speaking to you very specifically about the direction, we want you to be equipped to be sent out for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to pray and we have to intercede. There's a new generation. They will think differently. They will do things differently. The gospel doesn't change. The message of hope, the principles of the gospel do not change. But the means in which we communicate it, the style, the songs, all that may change. We'll be okay with that. We want this generation equipped. For a world in which things are turned upside down, for a world in which things are challenged and world leaders don't even have a grasp of what is going on. Jesus, we pray, Lord God, for this group this morning. We pray, God, for this generation, this specific generation, Lord. We pray, Lord Jesus, that there would be that passion, God, 
I know sometimes there are those who run from the call of God, but I pray, Lord, for those who may be tempted to run, that it would be a Jeremiah experience that I cannot run. It's fire. I have to speak it. I can't hold it back. God, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would work through, Lord, particularly some of the challenges of the mind, oh God, the wrestling of the mind, Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that this generation would long and hunger, Lord, for holiness. They would long for the touch of your Holy Spirit. They would long for the grace and move of your Holy Spirit upon their life. Lord, and that as you move upon them, as you touch them, as you equip them, Lord Jesus, that we would be faithful to send them out for your glory, that there would be places of service, God, that those of us who are maybe in in an older generation, we wouldn't hold on so long that the younger generation has no place to serve, but we'd eagerly put them in opportunities to be able to serve, to glorify you, to equip themselves for the kingdom. Help us, Jesus. Convince us of these things for your glory. In your presence this morning, oh Lord, in your presence this morning, let there be clarity of peace, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. Presence. Lord, I thank you. But this morning, I pray, oh God, that you are speaking to hearts. God, that you are confirming the work which you have ordained from long ago. Lord Jesus, that in hearts and lives right now, God, that you are confirming that work. Jesus, I pray, Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that in this moment, that just like the boy Samuel thought, he was hearing a natural voice in his ear that would wake him up through the night. But it was you calling. God, I pray that there would be eyes open to the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in this moment to call, Lord Jesus, to your service. We may not know all of what that looks like. All of what that's going to be. But God, we trust you with the first step to send. To send. We must send. So God, we thank you for that this morning. Thank you for affirming the call of God today.
Thank you so much for your presence here this morning. We thank you, God, for what you are doing. Lord Jesus, help us, God. Lord, help us. Lord, as the early church was facing obstacles, going against kingdoms and people, Lord God, who were against the gospel, and they kept going, and they kept going, and they kept going because they were sent out, Lord, to do your work, and Lord, they wouldn't turn back. God, help us to be that kind of people. To be the ones that cry out, here I am, send me, O oh Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Continue to do the work, oh God. Continue to do the work for your glory. And we thank you for it, Jesus. Confirm, Lord, your work in those whom you are speaking to today. Confirm your work, oh God. We thank you for it, Jesus. Thank you for your grace and kindness today. In your holy, precious name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.